mamas. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and we are so excited to have Libby Ward from Diary of an Honest Mom on our show. Libby is a digital creator, speaker, and mental health advocate with a deep commitment to breaking the cycles of trauma. Libby knows that being a mom is hard and wants other moms to know that it's normal to feel that way. She wants to change the narrative on what it means to be a good mom and reminds others that taking care of yourself is just as important as taking care of your kids, and we couldn't agree more. Today, Libby is here to discuss how to break the cycles of family trauma and move forward. She knows firsthand how important it is to heal from the past and break cycles to become the mom you want to be for your own family. So let's welcome Libby to learn more. Thank you so much for being on our podcast, Chick Chat. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are very excited to talk to you because, one, we're big fans of what you do on your site and social media and how you are so relatable and funny, but like talking about things that (laughs) so many of us can relate to. And I have to say, for our listeners who are unfamiliar with your work, can you tell us just a little bit about you and your background and how you became an advocate for mental health? Yeah. So my name is Libby Ward. I'm a mom of two from Ontario, Canada. My kids are six and eight. And I joined TikTok in March 2020. Now, before that, I had never heard of influencers, content creators, anything like that being a job. I've always been passionate about helping women. I've always been passionate about mental health and talking about hard things, but that was more in like a volunteer capacity in in my personal life. So when the pandemic hit and I joined TikTok, I fell in love with this idea of being authentic and relatable and just showing up as ourselves. I really had a hard time with Instagram prior to that because it felt so curated and aesthetic and so unfamiliar to my lived experience. And I really felt a lot of shame around it as well because no one in my real life really grew up the way I grew up or lived the life I lived. And then I looked on social media and I didn't see representation either. And I felt so isolated and so alone. And not only my motherhood journey, but just in my past and so many of my experiences because there weren't a lot of people talking openly about it. So when I started on TikTok, it really was like relatable, like mom humor, and it was focused more on funny stuff, still talking about hard things, but being relatable. And as I grew and got connected with more women and with my audience, I opened up more about my struggles. And that's when I realized this is something we need to talk about because it connected with so many people And not only did I realize that I wasn't alone, but I realized so many other people needed to hear it as well. So it was honestly just a cathartic experience for me to be able to talk about mental health and trauma and generational trauma and so many of the difficult things that we don't talk about in our day-to-day lives. And so now I have a large platform on TikTok and Instagram and my blog. I'm a public speaker, and I really like to advocate for, for mental health, for motherhood, for breaking cycles of trauma, and just talk about how all those things are really interwoven and they're not separate issues. You know, they're not things that we can just put in their own little separate boxes and really draw those connections between those things. And so that I became the honest mom because of the start of the pandemic, I guess. And now I work full time as a content creator and I'm learning every day. That is amazing. If I had told you like four years ago, Hey, by the way, you're going to be an influencer slash content creator. What would you have said? 
I would have opened up Google and wrote in what is an influencer. <laughs> and I probably would have laughed in your face after I read the answer because it was just, it's not something that even now I'm like, am I an influencer? I don't know. I'm just a person living my life on the internet and helping people. So yeah, it's every day to me is so surreal. And every month, every week, I have new opportunities and new things that come up that I'm like, people do this? This is a job? This is a thing? And it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for what I get to do every day. Well, we're so grateful for all the things that you do. Because again, you have opened, I think, a new door to a more realistic side of motherhood. Like you said, we totally relate that it was very edited. Everything was curated and perfect. And that's just not real life. Things get messy. And by you starting the conversation of how, you know, some messy topics, it just made us feel like, ah, we could like exhale for a moment. And it, it felt like almost putting on like a cozy pair of sweatpants, like watching your stuff to be like, this is what I totally get and relate to and, and vibe with. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. So as I'm saying, like so many of us <laughs> have interesting experiences during our childhood, some good, some bad. How do you believe your experiences shaped the parent and person, or not your experiences, I guess all of our experiences? How do you believe all of our experiences shape the, the parent and person we become? I think they shape us way more than we ever realized. And it's not until you become a parent that those things slowly and sometimes not so slowly become uncovered. There's so many things about like the intricate relationships and the delicate parts of like how we interact with our parents and our siblings and just the general vibe and environment in our home that we just internalize and just becomes a part of our fiber, I guess. The way I grew up was very volatile and emotions were always running high in our house and you never knew what mood mom was going to be in. You never knew like what sort of emergent situation was going to come up. And so it sort of had me on high alert all the time. And when I became a, a parent, I had all these ideas of how I was going to parent and how I wasn't going to be reactive and I wasn't going to be angry and I was going to be predictable and I was going to be all these things that I didn't have growing up. But then when I was faced with the reality of being a parent and being triggered and being overwhelmed and having all of those things in my face, even though I had this idea of what I wanted to be, it was so hard to execute on. And so I honestly don't think we truly realize how much we've been impacted until we're actually walking in it. And then sometimes it's even scarier because you're like, now I have to reparent myself while I'm parenting. It's not like I can fix it, then become a parent. I'm already parenting. I'm already like putting out these fires every day. And so... Yes. I mean, how, how does it affect us in every single way in all the interactions our parents had with us and all the ways they reacted or didn't react and how safe we felt at home to express our emotions, how safe we felt just in general, if we were equipped to go out into the world and be our true selves, or if we had to hide ourselves, if becoming people pleasers, becoming perfectionists, feeling like you needed to earn your parents' love. There's so many different things that our parents may not have intentionally hurt us. And maybe we didn't have the big T trauma of those like major life events that happen. But, you know, it's years of conditioning to believe that, you know, our feelings don't matter. Our thoughts don't matter. Our feelings are invalid that we internalize and then have a hard time facing when we become parents. And there's a lot of big emotions all the time. 
It's so true. It's so true. And that actually leads me to my next thing, because you're right. Many people may not even realize that they had a traumatic upbringing because it's all they knew. Maybe they felt, oh, this isn't right. I'm going to do something different, but then realize, wait, no, this is trauma. You know, how do you recommend women and mothers specifically identify and work through the fact that they may have experienced trauma as a child? Well, first of all, I think it's important to have self-compassion and empathy for ourselves. You know, sometimes when we come to these realizations or we start wondering like, oh, like, did I experience trauma? It then just like starts this spiral of like, oh, well, I'm such an idiot for not realizing it. Or I can't believe I didn't know this. Or, oh, I, you know, I've been making mistakes for so long because I didn't know. And we just start like self-blaming ourselves for the things we didn't know. And I just want to say like, if you're becoming aware of something, that is a huge first step. And we need to be able to give ourselves grace and give ourselves self-compassion and not play the blame game. There's no need to play the blame game. We can just start fresh from day one. And there's also a lot of mixed feelings that people can end up having about their parents who, you know, some of us end up going no contact with our, our parents if it's a particularly bad situation. Some people just have a lot of boundaries and some people still have a relationship with their parents or they've really healed and they have a great relationship with their parents. And it can be really hard to both acknowledge that some of the things we went through were trauma and that we need to heal from it while still loving our parents. And we feel like, well, if I admit this is trauma, then that means I don't love my parents. If I admit that I need boundaries to have a peaceful relationship with them, that means that I'm going to hurt them. And I think we really need to be able to separate what we're going to do in the future and the changes we're going to make from how much we love our parents. We can still love them. We can still have empathy and understanding for how they became the way they became and how they parented us while still making changes for ourselves. I think that a lot of times people spend so much time being like, well, was it trauma? Was it not trauma? Like we just think of it as this huge topic. And it's like, do we really need to label it? Do we really need to cut off relationships? Do we need to make this big change? Or can we just say, I'm realizing that I am facing issues in my life because of how I was raised. I'm going to start making changes and we can go one step at a time. Because breaking cycles of generational trauma isn't just a, you know, I heard someone say one time, I broke the cycle of trauma. And I just think, I don't think I can ever say that I've completely broken it. I am breaking the cycles of trauma. It's a process. And it just, there's new things that are constantly coming up. So just give yourself grace and take it one step at a time. I love that. And I love how you specifically said, like, admitting that maybe, well, one, do you even need to label it? Because putting that label, you might be thinking, oh, I don't love my parents. And that's not it. As someone who has experienced a little bit of trauma myself growing up, I still love my parent, like the parent that gave me that trauma. But there are boundaries. But I agree that it's with each experience and you have to get help. And I'm curious, what steps would you recommend for someone who's coming to those realizations? Maybe they don't have the best way of setting boundaries. Maybe they don't know how to get into a better place with that parent or a better place into their parenthood. Like, What are some steps that you recommend to get to a better place for yourself? For me, the things that helped me the most were going to therapy and reading books. Reading books isn't for everyone, but you know, it's listening to podcasts like this, listening to other podcasts. It's exposing yourself to people and media 
who get it, who get you, who get your situation and who can speak life into your situation. Cause there's nothing worse than feeling like you're going through something alone. And I honestly, I learned a lot from my therapist in identifying some of the things that either went on in my childhood or that were still affecting me. But even more than that, it was connecting with people on social media through reading different books. And I have recommendations on my website for all these different things, podcasts, social media, books, all these different things where you just get tidbits here and there and just like slowly start introducing new things into your life that teach you a little bit each day, each week. And really it's that giving yourself grace and exposing yourself to a little bit more each time. You know, Not everyone can jump, you know, headfirst into like deep, hardcore therapy. Not everybody can make big changes overnight, but by sort of changing your circles a little bit and changing what, you know, information you have incoming, that's going to help you to understand your situation and learn how to set boundaries. For me, I couldn't set boundaries until I got real about my self-worth issues. I learned all about the facts about boundaries and the importance of boundaries and protecting yourself, um, protecting your time and your energy. But because I placed other people's needs and emotions and experiences above my own, I couldn't actually execute any of those boundaries because I was more concerned about hurting their feelings than hurting my own feelings because I valued their worth more than I valued my own. If you're looking for different books to read or different therapies to go to, you know, I highly recommend directing yourself towards something that's going to help you really see your worth because you're not going to be able to set boundaries or make any changes unless you truly believe that you are worth the energy and you are worth making the changes. I love that. Absolutely. You are worth it. You are worthy. Can you, Libby, share some examples of generational trauma women face and the feelings they may experience as a result? I mean, there's all types of generational trauma. I don't know if you've, have you heard of the ACE score, adverse childhood experiences? Okay. So for anyone who's listening, even if you just Google it, the ACE score, A-C-E, stands for adverse childhood experiences. And it is this test that was made by a group of psychiatrists and psychologists of 10 different childhood experiences that the more of these experiences you have had, the more likely it is that you will have some of the negative effects of trauma. So we're talking about experiencing a parent with drug or alcohol abuse problems, a parent who has a mental health crisis, divorce, narcissistic abuse, poverty, sexual abuse, all types of different adverse experiences that have an impact on our development. And so it's not just one thing. And I also like to talk about, this isn't a part of the ACE score, which by the way, you can take that test online and it'll give you a score out of 10. And then you can learn all kinds of stuff about it. But another cycle that I like to talk about is the cycle of martyrdom. So martyrdom is this whole idea that as mothers, it is our job to put everybody else ahead of us. And what happens is there's a lot of resentment that builds up because we're not taking time for ourselves. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're the ones that are controlling everything that's happening in the house. And we're equally frustrated that nobody else is doing anything, but also reminding everyone else that they're not doing anything and that we're the ones that are doing it. And I know I struggled with martyrdom and I still do sometimes where I just have this feeling of, you know, I've given so much for you guys. Um, and it can really be toxic. And when that is passed down for, from generations before us, it really perpetuates this whole idea that like if our mothers 
said and did things like this and made our experiences feel invalid and made our feelings feel invalidated, then it becomes almost like our go-to response with our own kids, even if we don't want to make them feel that way. So I really try hard to focus on prioritizing myself so that I don't have to be resentful towards my family or remind them that I'm not prioritizing myself. So that is one cycle that I think really needs to be broken in this generation. I think a lot of people, a lot of mothers are getting better at that and practicing that self-care and prioritizing themselves. But in regards to the ACE score and the other types of trauma that people experience, it can come from so many different things. And it really affects our confidence. It affects our worthiness. It affects our ability to choose ourselves. It affects our ability to create boundaries, to not feel responsible for other people's feelings, to admit that we have needs. It creates a lot of perfectionism, a lot of people pleasing, a lot of those characteristics that a lot of women are known for, but that aren't necessarily characteristics that we want to have, or even that are beneficial to our well-being or our family's functioning. Yeah, I'm taking this all in. And oh my gosh, thank you for sharing all of that, Libby, because you're absolutely right. I I can, from even the women who have really opened up to me as, as a doula, I work with a lot of families. And I think that especially when you become a mother and you're welcoming this child, you're almost thrown into this situation of, oh my gosh, you're peeling this onion of, Mm. oh wow, I'm seeing this emerge that I didn't expect to feel and see. And, and yes, I can totally relate to that. So thank you for sharing that. And I will say kind of going back when we were talking about social media, you had mentioned the word shame. And we know that that shame can often be a result of trauma. Mm-hmm. How can women work through this feeling and get to a place of peace and acceptance? Well, for me, the antidote to shame is empathy, you know, for ourselves and connectedness. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown's work. If you haven't read any of her books, you need to. Obsessed with Brene, yes. Right, and she talks a lot (laughs) about shame and a lot about empathy and a lot about vulnerability. For me, I'm vulnerable with the world. You know, I tell the world my problems. I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but (laughs) vulnerability and opening up to a trusted person, whether that's a therapist, whether that's a partner, a friend, somebody who you know loves you and who you can trust to share about your experiences is extremely powerful. Shame thrives in isolation. And so when we feel ashamed of ourselves or we feel shame because of our past or because of the way that we're parenting because of how our past shaped us, that's really hard. And then when you take the fact that we don't want to share that with other people because we're scared of their reactions or whatever, it makes it 10 times worse because now you feel alone. And honestly, like a lot of the struggles that I've had that I've shared about When other people come back and say, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one like that is so healing. Like that is like equal to a thousand therapy sessions. You know, when you are stuck in this idea of like, I'm the only one that thinks this, I'm the only one that feels this, I'm the only one that reacts this way. I'm the only one that's had this experience. And to even have one other person be like, oh my goodness, me too, is so just like, oh, I'm not crazy. I have nothing to be ashamed of. It's not 
these experiences and feelings are not who I am. They're not my character. They're not, they don't equate to my worth. They are just facts that happened. They are just things that I'm dealing with. They are not who I am. And that, that is really healing. And so I would just recommend to people to connect with people who have gone through similar experiences to you and just really have empathy for yourself. Ah, Libby, this is gold. Ah, that shame thrives in isolation. And you talked about therapy or going out there into the whole world and bearing it all like you do or your partner. Now I'm curious with your partner, with the experiences that you've had, how did you present this, your experiences with your partner when you guys were deciding to start a family? Like what were the discussions and how did you guys kind of approach dealing with your previous experiences together as a family? I think sometimes we approach these topics and we think a lot of the learning that I've had has come over years. When I first became an adult at 19 years old, I learned a little bit and I learned a bit a bit more after that and a little bit after that and a little bit after that. And I went into parenthood with my husband knowing that I didn't want to parent how I was parented, but it wasn't like this big pinnacle conversation of like, okay, these are the things we're going to do. And these are the things we're not going to do. And this is what this is going to look like. And that's what that's going to look like. You know, we had conversations about our values and about overarching themes, but there wasn't like this big one conversation. It's like this continuous communication and this continuous relearning and this can continuous like onion being peeled back. You know, a lot of people who have gone through trauma, they say that as your child reaches certain ages, there's new things unlocked for you. There's new experiences. So, you know, when your child turns three and all of a sudden they're having certain experiences, it reminds you of things that happened when you're around that age and when they turn four. And so for me, it wasn't just like, we just went into parenthood and we were like, this is our guidebook and this is what we're going to do. It was more value-based and something that we revisited at every new stage and at every new conflict. And, you know, really just having my partner understand how I operate and how I tick. And some of that happened after we became parents and after I became resentful and after I dealt with postpartum rage and I was like, oh my gosh, like I knew that I didn't want to be this type of parent, but now I am. And how do we fix that? I never want parents to think that they have to figure it all out before they become parents or if they're, you know, approaching this cycle breaking journey eight years after they became parents that they have all this catching up to do. It's more like, let's face what we're facing right now and just do baby steps. And that's kind of what my partner and I have done. And just him having an understanding of my past because he had a pretty straightforward upbringing. And so him having that understanding of where I've come from and having that empathy for me has been really important. I think it it all circles back to empathy and what you're saying. And I love that you have a partner that is so empathetic to your experiences and validating your experiences now as a mother is such a, a beautiful thing. You talk about cycle breaking, but as you said, it's breaking, not broken. Like I haven't broken the cycle. I'm continuously breaking it. Can you elaborate on why this is important and some ways on how to begin this process? Well, why is it important so we don't pass trauma down to our kids? I mean, we're all going to traumatize our kids one way or another. (laughs) None of us are perfect. uh, And expecting perfection is only a recipe for disaster. But, you know, the idea is that we're going to pass on less trauma to them that we were maybe passed down. And my whole idea, too, is that 
I don't want my kids to have to wait until they're 25, 30, 35 and parents themselves to realize, oh, I can go to therapy. Oh, I'm not perfect. Oh, my mom wasn't perfect. I want to raise them in a way that they know for certain that I'm not perfect, that I can admit it, that I can apologize, that I'm human, that we're growing in this together. And so for me, one of the biggest things when I think about when I break cycles in my family is that I want my children to know that I'm human and that I'm a safe person for them to come and talk to, that I'm going to make mistakes, but that I'm also going to own those mistakes and apologize. And that I can be a model to them of what an imperfect person looks like who also has humility and can have hard conversations. I never want to be that parent who's always right. And the kids are always wrong where I invalidate their feelings and only focus on my own feelings. And it's really that balance too. You know, a lot of people say, all my parents did was show me the type of parents I didn't want to be. I just do the opposite. And I'm always a little bit leery about that because I think the extreme of anything is unhealthy. You know, if we grew up and our feelings were always invalidated and our feelings never mattered, and now all we do is focus on our children's feelings and validate them and do everything to make them happy, we're then just showing them that we don't matter and that our feelings don't matter, right? So we need to find that balance of saying, we're going to validate your feelings and we're going to say that that's legitimate and still hold this boundary. And we're also going to say that my needs and wants and feelings are legitimate as well. And it's like finding that balance. So I really, when I think of breaking cycles, I think about finding balance and harmony and just raising my children in a way that they feel safe. They feel safe at home. They feel safe showing their emotions and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing for all of us to kind of take note because we all want our children to feel seen and heard and respected, but also recognize that the world doesn't revolve around them <laughs> and that there are other people around them that they love and we matter too. It's like, I, I love you, but I, I love me too. That's what Dr. Reem from Psyched Mommy had said in one of our previous podcasts. And I was like, yes, I totally agree. And Libby, I love that you say, laugh, cry, give yourself grace. And I think that that's kind of like what you live by with your social media, because you make things, like you said, you're honest, you're relatable, but it's funny. You're like, I need to make this as relatable and hopefully give you a smile through the process or, you know, have a cathartic cry after it. But at the end, give yourself grace. So, but can you, I want to know from your own words, like what is the meaning behind this for you? The laugh, cry, and give yourself grace. And why is it important? It's important to me because I think it really encompasses the whole idea of validating our own feelings, feeling our feelings. Let yourself feel joy when you feel joy. Let yourself laugh when something's funny. Let yourself be human and find happiness, even if you've had trauma, even if you had a bad day, even if you yelled at your kids today, even if you're imperfect. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves we're allowed to laugh, right? As women, often we, we punish ourselves. You know, we feel guilty at the end of the day. We feel like we need to like perseverate on all the things we did wrong. We feel like, well, I can't feel joy because I messed up X, Y, Z today. It's like, no, like let yourself laugh. And then it's also the other side. It's like, let yourself cry. That was a hard day. You're allowed to cry. You know, like maybe you grew up being told that you need to go to your room when you have negative emotions. Maybe you grew up being told that what you were dealing with wasn't a big deal. 
maybe even now you have people telling you, well, you chose being a mom, like you're not allowed to be upset. You know what? Yeah, you are. If you're exhausted, you're allowed to say you're exhausted. If you're sad, you're allowed to be sad. If you're grieving that you didn't have parents or you don't have parents the way that you need to in your life, you're allowed to be sad about that. That doesn't mean that everything is the worst or that you're never going to feel happy again. You know, in Brene Brown's book, she talks about how when we numb our negative emotions, it limits our ability to feel our positive emotions. When we numb our positive emotions, we then can't deal with the negative emotions. And allowing ourselves to move through emotions as they hit us in waves prepares us for the next one to come. But it's not a fulfilled way to live life to never allow ourselves to feel our emotions because they're a part of our reality. And the give yourself grace part is giving yourself grace for all your feelings. You know, I think one of the biggest things I work through with my therapist is adding shame and guilt on top of my feelings. So let's say I was feeling jealous of a friend that had supportive parents in the way that I didn't, rather than just feeling jealous and sad, I was then mad at myself and shaming myself for being jealous. Oh, well, you don't deserve to be jealous. You have X, Y, Z. You don't, I really had to work through not layering shame and guilt on top of other emotions I was feeling and just giving myself grace. You're allowed to feel jealous. Sometimes you're allowed to feel hurt. You're allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to have feelings and just give yourself grace. If something feels hard, that's probably because it is hard, not because you don't have what it takes. Amen to that. Absolutely. And you're talking about all of these emotions. And one that I want to add is guilt. Mm -hmm. And guilt is a common feeling for many of us mothers. That's why there's that phrase, mom guilt, which is funny that we never hear about dad guilt. It's all about we hear about mom guilt. But Libby, how do you recommend that we mothers start giving ourselves grace when it comes to the guilt and letting that go? Mm -hmm. Well, I wrote a few pieces on this on my website that people are welcome to go and look at if they want to. But I, when we talk about empathy being the antidote to shame, I think about grace being the antidote to guilt. The guided journal exercise that I created and that I've been using in the mornings and nights, I have a section where I talk specifically about guilt and it says, I am feeling guilty for, because to be honest, like what mom doesn't feel guilty about something by the end of the day. And so, you know, I think about the thing that I'm feeling guilty for. And then there's like this list of what do I need to do with that guilt? Because having guilt just sit there and make us feel awful about ourselves literally accomplishes nothing. Guilt can be a really great alarm system. It can be just a notification that You're doing something that is not in line with the values you have as a parent. If we're feeling guilty for yelling at our kids, we feel guilty because that's not what we want to do. And it's not productive just to feel guilt. But if that guilt is an alarm system to something that happened, we can then go look for resources, look for support, look for different things that are going to help us deal with it the next time it happens while at the same time giving ourselves grace. And my whole thing is like, we only have certain capacity. We all have so much energy to give. And I just think if we're going to give our energy to guilt, that leaves less energy to actually making changes or giving ourselves grace or doing something differently because we're spending all our time just thinking about what a horrible mother we are instead of being like, hey, let's look up ways we can do this differently next time. Or... Let's say you're feeling guilty for going out with friends and you're feeling guilty you didn't put your kids to bed that night. I look at that guilt and I say, is that guilt productive? Is it an alarm system? No, it isn't. 
that's guilt that makes no sense. And then what about the moms who are like, wait, I went out with my friends and I feel zero guilt. Now I feel guilty for not feeling guilt. Yeah, exactly. It's like, but that's all the social expectations too, right? And so when I feel guilt, I try to look at, okay, am I feeling guilty because I did something that's not in line with my values? Yes or no. Am I feeling guilty because I chose myself over my children. Okay. So if it's a yes, it's like, well, that guilt is not necessary. And it's reminding ourselves, no, we matter. I don't need to feel guilt. This isn't an alarm system. It's unproductive guilt and it's unnecessary. And if we're feeling guilty for not feeling guilty, that I feel is an alarm system to like almost comparison, right? Of like, oh, well, other people feel guilty about this and I don't. So again, it's what's wrong with me. It's like, no, nothing's wrong with you. Like, be proud of yourself that you didn't feel guilty. Like a lot of people have to work hard to get there. So but I I hear a lot of people say that. And it's like, no, like, that's good for you that you didn't feel guilty. That's awesome. That's too funny. I love that. Now, Libby, from your past, what were the biggest lessons that you learned from your parents and from the trauma that you experienced? And as a result of those experiences, what is important now to you with your own children and your family? I learned a lot of things from my past. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that as mothers, our role is incredibly important. And that many of the things that we fret and worry and stress about don't matter and make an impact as much as we think they do. And often it's the small things that matter. It's the everyday intricacies. A lot of times as moms, we're looking at the car seat we buy and the stroller we have and what we're feeding our kids and what we're putting on their skin and the extracurriculars we're putting them in and what school we're sending them to and all these big things. When in reality, It's their attachment with us and their ability to relate to us and our ability to connect with them and for our ability to help them feel safe enough to go out in the world and be the humans that they're going to be that makes the biggest impact. You know, when you look at socioeconomic status and the different ways that people were raised, it's really interesting to see that the kids who have a secure attachment and the people who grew up with parents who loved them unconditionally and didn't shame them for their feelings and who supported them, those are the kids that grow up not having to heal so much from their past. And I learned that, you know, in the first few years of my motherhood, I was looking at what everybody else was doing and what they were buying and where they were taking their kids. And I was like, you know what, what I would have given to grow up in a household where I felt safe. And so I'm going to take my energy and I'm going to focus it on raising my children in a home that feels secure and safe because they're not going to remember so many of these other things that I'm stressing myself out about doing. They're going to remember how they felt around me. One of my favorite quotes, the quote goes, people will forget what you did um, and people will forget what you said, but people will never forget the way you made them feel. believe that's Maya Angelou. It's a beautiful quote. Maya Angelou. And I'm like, that's what I apply to my parenthood. You know, they're going to forget. I'm like getting emotional. They're going to forget the museums we went to. They might not remember everything we did at Disney World. They're going to forget what I fed them for the two years of the pandemic when we were at home. They're not going to know that we ate chicken nuggets four nights a week, but they're going to remember how they felt in my presence. They're going to remember when we're at Disney World, whether I was pleasant to be around or whether I was snapping every two seconds. And if that means we go on 10 less rides and mommy's happy, and the kids are happy, then that's what matters. It's about 
how they remember how they felt around us, not all the things we did. Libby, thank you so much for sharing that. That was so beautiful and relatable. And I actually share that quote all the time, even like in birth. I say that as the provider, as the doula that I am, as whoever is in that room, you're not going to, well, with birth, you might remember every little detail, but at the end of the day, it's how you Mm -hmm. felt. Mm -hmm. You're going to remember how someone made you feel during all of those experiences. And I love how you have pointed this out to our children. And I love how you've said that it's the little things that really matter, showing up and being there and supporting them unconditionally. It's just so beautiful. So thank you for that. Just wonderful reminder. Many of these topics are can be hard for women to talk about when it comes to trauma. And that's why we just love how you are helping start this conversation on these public platforms. How do you think we can change that and be more open to talking about the hard stuff? Picking up that phone and calling a therapist or reaching out to a friend or opening up to your partner. Like, how can we start talking about these things? I think we just start by starting. <laughs> Which sounds a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> no, it's not. But I, I because I think I, I think that a lot of people there's fear. Is this safe? Like obviously a, ther- a therapist is a safe place. Is this safe to talk about? And if I unload all of this baggage, like will I relive all of this again? And I don't think I can go through that trauma again. And and so yeah, what's your advice on that? I think it goes back to when we were talking about, you know, what did my partner and I do when we were becoming parents and wanting to break the cycle where we make it this big thing in our head, right? We make it this, like, I think of like a hot air balloon. That's just like full of all this stuff. And you're like, if I poke one little hole in it, now it's all going to explode and everything is going to change and everything's going to be different. And I'm going to have to feel all these feelings at once. And I won't be able to get it back and I won't be able to put it back together. And we can just spiral into that. And I think again, it's just start with step one, start with, you have a friend who mentioned that her mom was manipulative growing up. Maybe you don't know the whole story. Maybe you just say, Hey, can I pick your brain about this? Like I had this experience. Did you have something similar to that? And maybe they say, oh, no, no, not really. And maybe they're empathetic and they just want to hear your story. Or maybe they're like, oh my gosh, me too. And you get to have an in-depth conversation about it. And then you just get to start with a conversation with a friend. And for an entire year, you just meet with that friend and you talk about it. You know, it doesn't have to be this whole, like, I'm going to change my life and go to therapy and read all these books. And everything has to be about trauma now. It can be just starting a conversation, starting a friendship, joining a support group where you only talk about it in a safe, closed support group. It can be just starting to talk to your partner about it. It doesn't have to become this big, huge thing that takes over your whole life. Because especially as moms, we only have so much capacity. We only have so much time. We only have so much energy. And when you're already feeling overwhelmed and you're already feeling stressed out and you're already like, it is so hard parenting especially now that I realize I have all this trauma and it's affecting how I parent, having this big hot air balloon of like, I can't even approach this because if this thing pops, everything's going to crumble and I'm already having a hard time keeping all the pieces together. You know, we only have so much. So instead of making it this like big thing, and it may be a big thing, it may be a huge iceberg under the surface, but you don't have to tackle the whole iceberg on day one. So I would just say, start with baby steps. Just start by talking to one person. Start by following one account. Start by having one conversation. 
I love that. Baby steps, just doing one thing at a time. I think it's just more digestible. And I think it can lead you to the next step of like, okay, this is what I can do to achieve that peace and starting that conversation for the next generation. So it's less traumatic for them. So that's beautiful. And Libby, if what is like the one thing you want our listeners to know about generational trauma and mental health? There's a famous book by Mark Wolin, I think, and it's called It Didn't Start With You. And I think that's what I would want people to know. It comes back to this whole idea of empathy and grace for ourselves, where if you're starting this journey of breaking cycles of trauma and you're approaching this idea of generational trauma, these are big, heavy, complex topics. And if you've gone through those things, then your instinct is to self-blame and is to self-shame even more than the average person. And that's hard. And so I just think about that title and I think just remind yourself, it didn't start with me. It's not my fault. Maybe it's my responsibility to heal and maybe it's my responsibility to move forward and break these cycles, but it didn't start with me and it's not my fault. And I deserve grace in this situation because it's a lot. It is. Thank you so much for that resource. We're going to have to add that to our show notes so that our listeners can click on that book. And speaking of that, are there any other resources that you recommend for someone struggling with family trauma? Yeah, there is a book that is called The Body Keeps the Score. And it is an incredible book that talks about how our bodies remember trauma, even when our brains don't remember trauma and the effect that that has on our development on the people we become, on so many things in our lives. And it's a big, heavy book, but it is incredible. I also would say just as a free resource and as like a baby step to start, if you go to my website and you download the Good Mom Project, it's a guided journal that I have come up with. There's a morning and a nighttime journal, and it really helps you to get an awareness of your situation and awareness of your expectations and figure out if you have realistic or unrealistic expectations and help with that guilt piece and that self-compassion piece. And so you can download it and fill it out on your computer or print it out and write it out. And I've had a lot of people say that it's just helped them to give themselves a lot of compassion and to really just like start that journey. But my website, I have all sorts of recommendations for books on generational trauma, accounts to follow, podcasts, things like that. So feel free to check that out too. Perfect. That's so wonderful. And any final thoughts or or words of advice for our listeners? I guess my final thoughts would be not to compare your trauma. I have a lot of people, when I share my story, they say to me, well, I feel bad even calling what I went through trauma when I hear about what you went through. And it's another way that we invalidate ourselves and our experiences and, you know, pain and trauma and shame. It's all relative. Our struggles are all relative and your pain and your trauma and the things you're facing are not any less valid just because they're not as bad as someone else's or how you perceive somebody else's lived experience. So don't compare your trauma. Just keep your eye on the prize and take one step in front of the other and don't look at everybody else's how good they're doing or how bad they're doing or their trauma. Just focus on yourself because you've probably already got enough to deal with. Yes, we all do. That's for certain. <laughs> and and Libby, uh, remind our listeners where, where they can find you. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram as Diary of an Honest Mom. 
And you can find me on my website, www.diaryofanhonestmom.com. Amazing. And now I just have to ask Libby, what does your husband think of all of this that now that you've been doing since 2020 and empowering not just women, but people when it comes to these very real topics? He's really supportive. At first, he didn't quite know what it was. He's a pretty private person. And I think he just saw it as like this fun thing that I was doing, you know, on TikTok. And then all of a sudden it became my job and it's been a learning curve for both of us, but he's really supportive and he knows that it's making a difference. So he's really proud of me. (laughs) Well, we are so proud of you and Libby, this was just wonderful. Thank you so much again for taking the time to share your story and your resources. We're just so grateful. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Libby, as she said, you can visit her on the web at diaryofanhonestmom.com or on TikTok and Instagram at diaryofanhonestmom. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to new beginnings and better futures for ourselves and our babies.